This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Please be sure to subscribe and share with friends and family. To help support this ministry, please visit allentempleamec.com slash donate. Thank you for listening. The scripture that was read came from the gospel according to Matthew, the 20th chapter, and the verses that were read were the first through to the 16th verses. But I just want to lift up the 15th verse for the moment. Matthew, the 20th chapter, and the 15th verse. And here's what it says. Is it not lawful for me to do what I want with what is my own? Or is your eye envious because I am generous? So the last shall be first, and the first last. This particular text, of course, is an excerpt of the parable that was read earlier, and it is my belief that many of you are probably thinking the same thing when you heard the parable read, that the landowner is unfair. And I would be inclined to agree with you, but, but, but in the context of the kingdom of God, the question I have is simply this, is fairness a prerequisite for the kingdom? Is fairness a prerequisite for the kingdom of God? In other words, does God have to be fair and how do we understand what fair even means? I'll attempt to unpack this for us today in this message that I've titled quite simply, The Generosity of God. The Generosity of God. Let us pray. Most gracious, heavenly, and eternal Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, you are not fair. You are just. And so, Father, help us to understand the difference between the two. And in so doing, your people will understand more about you. Bless us now, Lord, we pray, in this time of preaching, teaching, receiving, and doing. Bless us now, we pray. In Jesus' name, and the church said, amen. amen. I think it is fair to say that life is unfair. <laughs> I think it is fair to say that life is unfair. We see this playing out in instances where bad people seems to always be getting away with doing bad things. I don't know if I'm the only one that thinks that, but it just seems that way in our society today. Some people seem to have been gifted more than us. I wasn't born with a silver spoon in my mouth. The rich seems to keep getting richer, even during a pandemic. People who can't afford it pay the highest interest rates, and those that can't afford it get rewarded by paying the lowest interest rates. Uh, good people never seem to get a break. My loved one has a terminal disease and others don't. I could certainly name a lot more and rattle off a lot more instances, but if we are honest, many of us have concluded at one time or another that life is simply unfair. It is just plain unfair that a woman by the name of Crystal Mason was sentenced to five years in prison for casting an illegal provisional ballot during the 2016 presidential election when she was told by a clerk that helped her fill out that she was eligible to vote. Yet, 
Mark Meadows, former chief of staff for Donald Trump, voted in Virginia during the 2021 gubernatorial or governor's election, even though he was still registered in North Carolina. In fact, he's registered to vote in three different states, North Carolina, Virginia, and South Carolina, but I don't see him being sentenced to any time or any life behind bars. Life just seems to be unfair. But fairness is subjective. What do I mean? When things are going smoothly in our lives, everything seems to be fair. You're, you're riding high on the clouds, soaking in all the wonderful things that life has to offer. But once you hit turbulence or some rough patch in your life, you start to feel like everything seems to be turning against you. Life all of a sudden starts to feel very unfair. But fairness is subjective. To say that something is fair means that there is a balance in the way things are or the way that we think things should be. It is to imply that there is no favoritism being shown in one direction or another, that the playing field is level and everyone has an equal shot and opportunity to achieve the same outcomes as anyone else, no matter what the circumstances. In short, everyone plays by the same rules and everyone has the same chances to win. Everyone kicks the same soccer ball and every team has a chance to score. But there's a problem. There's a problem. Every game has a referee. Yeah. And the reason why there's a problem is because the referee has the power and the authority to interfere with the balance and the fairness of the game. You see, sure, the referee calls fouls, calls balls and strikes throughout the game. And since no one is perfect, we hope that he or she will take a balanced approach in how they make those calls within the game. So it would kind of even out, right, when they make some calls. Maybe they make some good calls, maybe they make some bad calls, but at the end of the day, since no one is perfect, we're saying that maybe it will all even out. But what do you do when a questionable penalty is called? Or if no penalty is called at a crucial point in the game? Or, or, or what do you do when you find out that the referee is granting an advantage to one team because he or she is getting something in return. In other words, the classic quid pro quo. My, my point is simply that in this life, fairness is subjective because we operate with referees and referees often have the power to do what they want. The President of the United States, the Congress, the elected officials, they are referees in the game of politics. The Supreme Court, judges, attorneys, police officers are referees in the game of civil society. The lobbyists in Washington are referees in the game of special interests. The CEOs and Wall Street bankers are referees in the game of business and commerce. You get the picture. Big pharmacy and medical professionals are referees in the game of health care and finally, Bishops and pastors, clergy officials are referees in the game of the church. And sad to say what most of these referees have in common, more often than not, is that they are all unfair because they all function under some kind of quid pro quo. 
They're all mostly unfair, and they are all mostly unjust. But fairness is not a prerequisite for the kingdom of God. In fact, justice might be, but fairness is not. So what do we mean by justice, Pastor? We go to school today. The word justice is actually a legal term. And it's a, it's a legal term, which means, watch this, a scheme or a system of law in which every person receives his or her own due from the system, including rights, both natural and legal. Notice carefully that the definition says, justice is a system of law in which every person receives their due from that system. So in other words, whatever the system is, who, or whoever it is that set up the system, they set it up in such a way that you can only get from the system what they set up the system to do in the first place. Are you with me? But you have to be invited into and freely accept whatever whoever designed that system chooses to give. And if you don't agree with what the system gives, then don't join the system. Or as my daughter would say, I'm not playing your game. I'm not going to play your game. This is what justice is. And it has nothing to do with fairness. Fairness is about balance and justice is about the system of law. So to be very clear, as mature believers in Jesus Christ, we should not expect life to be fair because we live in a world that is unbalanced because of sin, but we should expect life to be just because our system is one that's governed by laws. Are you with me? So when we see bad people getting away with doing bad things, seek justice, not fairness. When we see people paying interest rates that can afford it, seek justice, not fairness. Good people never get in a break. When we see that, seek justice, not fairness. So stop saying life is unfair. It is. You can't make it any more fair because we live in a sinful world. But you can and should seek justice. It's why the prophet Micah says, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice? Love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Nowhere does it say be fair, but it does say do justice. In fact, the Lord says, the, the, the word of the Lord says, let the one who boasts boast of this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises mercy, justice, and righteousness on the earth, for I delight in these things. That's the Lord speaking, right? So God may not always be fair, but God is always just. So, so with this understanding, all of that was just a setup for us to be able to talk about the parable, right? And, and, and there are some things that we need to understand from this parable that on face value seems to be quite unfair. <laughs> it, it doesn't seem right, right? But before we read it again, the first important question we need to ask about is, why did Jesus even tell this parable in the first place? Right? For we know Jesus is not frivolous. He doesn't just talk because he wants to talk. And every word that comes out of the mouth of Jesus is life. Yeah. Every single word. So we want to pay attention to not just what Jesus says, but why he said it in the first place. So to answer that question, let's look at the prior verse in Matthew 19. In the chapter, chapter 19, beginning at verse 27. Here's what it says. Then Peter, uh-oh, <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, once you hear Peter, right? Then Peter responded and said to him, being Jesus, Behold, Lord, we have left everything and followed you. What then will there be for us? And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, that you, have, that you who have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you also shall sit upon 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or farms on account of my name will receive many times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. So Jesus' parable then was a response to Peter's statement about the commitment of the disciples. Peter was making the point that he and the other disciples made a significant investment in this Jesus person whom they believed was the Messiah. They gave up everything to follow this man and hear him preach about the kingdom of God. In fact, this was right after Peter had heard Jesus tell the rich young ruler, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into heaven. Peter was now mad. Peter was now upset. Peter was confused. Peter was uncertain about the benefits of following Jesus. As a matter of fact, to put it in business terms, Peter wanted to know the ROI. In other words, Peter was interested in the return on his investment. Jesus, we have given up everything to follow you. What do we have to look forward to? If it's so hard for the rich to enter into he heaven and it's impossible, what, what's in it for us? And many of us ask the same question in the church. We come to church Sunday after Sunday. We give in the offering. We do. What's in it for us? My loved one is still dying. My loved one is still sick. I'm still having a hard time paying my bills. Jesus, I have left all of this stuff for you. What is in it for me? Peter says, behold, we have left everything and followed you, Jesus. What then will there be for us? In other words, Peter and all the other disciples agreed to join the Jesus system. And you can only get from the system... Whatever Jesus, who designed the system, chooses to give. I said that about what it means to have justice. And if you don't agree with the system, then don't join the system. But Peter and the disciples, by giving up all they had to follow Jesus, had made a decision to play the Jesus game. So the parable says, now I want you to keep in the back of your minds that justice is a system of law in which every person receives their due from the system. Remember, I told you that. Keep that in the back of your mind as we read this parable one more time. And I want you to listen carefully to the words. Matthew, the 20th chapter, and the first through the 16th verses. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers in his vineyard. When he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius for the day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to those he said, you go into the vineyard also, and whatever is right, I will give you. And so they went. Again, he went out about the sixth, the ninth, 
and did the same thing. And about the 11th hour, he went out and found others standing around. And he said to them, why have you been standing here idle all day long? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you also go into the vineyard. Now when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wage, starting with the last group to the first. When those hired about the 11th hour came, each one received the denarius. And so when those who hired first came, when they came, <laughs> they thought that they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they grumbled, saying, these who were hired last, they worked only one hour and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day's work in the scorching heat? But he answered and said to one of them, friend, I'm not doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go. But I want to give to this last person the same as you. Is it not lawful, lawful for me to do what I want with what is my own? Or is your eye envious because I am generous? So the last shall be first and the first last. The first thing we notice in this text is that the vineyard belongs to the landowner. Let me say that again. The vineyard belongs to the landowner. And I'm telling you right now, I don't know who's listening or what you're hearing, but I'm going to speak to that envious spirit in this church right now. Whoever's watching online, I'm going to speak to that envious spirit that you are harboring in your soul. So the first thing we want to observe from this text is that the vineyard belongs to the landowner. Whatever ideas you may have in your head about what is fair and how things should be is immaterial because the vineyard belongs to the landowner. In fact, the scriptures remind us that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Right? The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world and they that dwell therein. This means that we do not get to tell the landowner what to do with his vineyard. Remember that, church. For, for far too many of us, we get stuck because we think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. And as a result, we become greatly disappointed when we find out that the earth was in fact the Lord's and not ours. If I'm invited to your house for dinner and I accept the invitation, I have no right to complain because you gave me a smaller portion of the meal. The second thing we notice in the text is that the laborers bought into the vineyard system. They bought into the vineyard system. The landowner did not force them to agree to the daily wage rate. Didn't force them. This is important because what it means is that they had free will. Their decision was not predicated on anything other than their needs in the moment. They were most, of, most of them were idle. They needed something. And so they went of their own free will. And at the time when the landowner offered them the opportunity, it seemed reasonable to them. Otherwise, they would not have agreed to it. Brothers and sisters, let's be clear about one thing. Your yes must mean yes. Mm -hmm. 
and your no must mean yes. no. And once you have given your word, it is incumbent upon both you and the landowner to honor those words. This is not a suggestion. It is a rule in the kingdom of God. And that's why many of our churches are losing credibility. Because from the pulpit, our yes is maybe, kind of, sort of, possibly, probably. Our yes must mean yes. And our no's must mean no. The third thing, the third thing that we notice now in the text is that the vineyard, watch this church, requires more than a few laborers. The vineyard requires more than a few laborers. The text tells us that the landowner went out early in the morning, perhaps the first hour. He also went out the third, the sixth, and the ninth, and the eleventh hours. And with each trilogy, he found laborers idling that he could use in his vineyard. Nice. Now, now, I have two theories. Theory number one, I believe it's possible that when the first group was hired for the day, they had the capacity and the ability to complete the day's work in the vineyard. However, they were either too slow, too lazy, or too ineffective to do the work. So the landowner had to go out the third hour and get more people involved. Then the same thing happened at the sixth hour, the ninth hour, and the eleventh. That's one theory. The other theory is it could be that the work was so much, and he could only hire who was available to him at the time. So he had to go with what he had. But as time went on, he was able to find more people, and he brought them in because the Bible tells us the harvest is plentiful. But the laborers are few. So as far as the parable is concerned, and from a spiritual perspective, the kingdom of heaven belongs to God. The saints agree by faith to join the kingdom of God. And the kingdom has room for a lot more laborers. <laughs> this is the essence of what the kingdom of God is like. But as far as Peter's inquiry was concerned, which necessitated Jesus telling him this parable, it doesn't matter what you may think you have sacrificed for your entry into God's kingdom. Church, do you honestly think that you could give up something that would be of more value than what you have gained in the kingdom of God? Uh, do you honestly think that God exists to exploit and take advantage of you for his benefit in his vineyard? Do you honestly think that you even deserve to be in the kingdom of God? I ask these questions because they betray a kind of entitlement, mindset, and mentality displayed by Peter and to which many of us who self-identify as Christians hold. We believe that because we are not committing certain sins or because we have finally decided to lead a respectable life after indulging all of our untamed passions or because we believe in our minds that we are not as bad as other people, that we are more deserving of what God has to offer. In fact, I'm sure some of you honestly think now, I'm not talking to y'all necessarily here, but I'm just saying, I'm sure some of you honestly think that God owes you a special blessing simply because you decided 
to give a little something in the offering plate that, to be quite frank, you won't even miss anyway. I'm not trying to be mean, church. I'm simply telling you the truth. That somewhere in your heart and in your soul, you are just like Peter and all the laborers who were hired early in the morning. You think that the, that the people who came in at the 11th hour should not be paid the same amount as the people who worked all day from the first hour. You know you're thinking that. You know you're thinking that. You, you, you think if you give more, then you should get more. And, and if you give less, you should get less. Come on, church. Y'all know that y'all believe this and think it to be true. You, you think that people should only get what they deserve. Am I talking the truth? Y'all know what I'm saying. Y'all know what I'm saying. Y'all think that God is unfair. Let's be honest in the church. If nowhere else, let's be honest. We think that God is unfair. God blesses other people more than he blesses me. Why, why do some of these ministries that, that seem to have no word have the most support and the most people? And here it is, we think that we're preaching God's message. We're going to Guatemala, we're doing all this work, and, 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 and we can't even, we have a hard time paying a bill. God, what, 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 come on, church. We, we, we think that God is unfair, and we gotta be honest and shame the devil. We think that. We think that. And if you think these things, let me say it this way, and if we, because I'm putting myself in the bucket, if we think these things, then we're not thinking like children or citizens of the kingdom of God. We're thinking like the world. This is how the world thinks. You see, but what if I told you? What if I told you that life is unfair, but the kingdom of God is not? What if I told you that? Hmm. For, for you see, the kingdom of God is the complete reversal of everything that has gone wrong in our sin-infested world. You see, in the kingdom of God, up is down and down is up. In the kingdom of God, less is more and more is less. In the kingdom of God, to lose is to win. And to win is to lose. In the kingdom of God, if you want to live, you must die. And, and if you die, you will live. So the kingdom of God is completely upside down with everything, watch this church, with everything that we think. So if we think like the world, and we think that God is unfair, then we don't understand the kingdom of God. <laughs> you see, watch this. If you read the parable like someone who does not understand the kingdom of God, then you will miss the beauty of the generosity of God. If you read the parable like someone who thinks like the world, you will miss the beauty and the generosity of God. Let me explain. The vineyard is the kingdom of God in the parable. The labor in the vineyard is the harvesting of souls and winning people for the kingdom. That's the labor in the vineyard. The laborers are you and me, those of us who have been invited to participate in the work of God's vineyard. So when we give the invitation to join and to give your heart, we're inviting you to be a laborer into the kingdom of God, into God's vineyard. Are you still with me? The day, watch this. The day's wages of a denarius is eternal life. It's eternal life. So with this understanding, church, hear me. With this understanding, whether you have been laboring 
in God's vineyard since you were five years old, or if you started laboring when you became 95 years old, you can't get more or less of eternity. <laughs> you can't get more eternity than the five-year-old. <laughs> Do you see that it does not matter when you think in terms of eternity, whether or not you labored early or you labored late? That's what Jesus is trying to teach. And, and, and going back to self-righteous and entitled Peter. Do you think that there's anything, Peter, Alan Temple, AME Church, do you think there is anything that you have given up for God or even sacrificed for God that could even come close to the reward of eternal life? Do you now see how ridiculous it is for us to be envious of our brothers and our sisters who may be fellow laborers with us in the kingdom of God because they have been given a new or even a more favorable assignment? Do you see that the envious spirit is foolish? Do you now see that whether you are clergy or lay does not matter as long as you are in the kingdom? That's the point, church. And if you ever get so envious and so jealous or so entitled that you think that you deserve more from God because you think more highly of yourself than you ought to, then I ask you this question. How does your sacrifice compare to that of Jesus? Can you sacrifice more than he did? Can you give more than he gave? Can you give up more than what he gave up? Can you drink from the cup from which he drank? Can you suffer more than he suffered? Or better yet, let's flip the script. Can you forgive like he forgave? Can you weep for others like he wept? <laughs> And my favorite, can you love like how he loved? To be clear, as I get ready to close, to be clear, shame is not my intent. But I want you all to understand that what you signed up for in the kingdom of God is eternal life. And whether you came in first or whether you came in last, be grateful if for nothing else that you are in the kingdom, that your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. The cost for the generosity of God was the cross. And because Jesus paid it in full, you and I are guaranteed that at that great getting up morning, when the roll is called up yonder and the landowner of the vineyard says to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, starting with the last group to the first group. Brothers and sisters, do not grumble, but be grateful that you have a place in God's great eternal rest. For the last will be first, and the first will be last, and that is our destiny, because, 
Because, because, because of the generosity of God. May the Lord richly, richly bless you, my beloved.